Let's, uh, let's pray and uh, give the message today to the Lord. Father, we give this message today to you, and we ask the Spirit of God, you would have your way. We pray that you would be glorified, and uh, help us all to understand who the Father is, in Jesus' name, amen. Just want to thank everybody that tuned in yesterday uh, for our day of prayer. It was wonderful. We had uh, approximately 40 men and women of God from Ireland and all over the UK praying for our nation. And, you know, I think it's so beautiful. Uh, you know, last night I was awake for quite a while during the night, and I was just even reflecting on, you know, the vision of those who founded the Irish Republic. Um, you know, how they, they chose a flag that had not only green, it had orange, and it had white in between, signifying peace between the two sides. And I think that's a beautiful thing that we need to remind ourselves of that, you know, is that uh, God has a destiny for this island. He has a destiny for our nations. And uh, I think it was so beautiful that, uh, like Psalm 133 says there, that you can dwell together in unity, that as brothers and sisters in Christ, that, you know, we had people from the Republic, people from Northern Ireland, people from, uh, you know, uh, Scotland, England, and Wales praying in the name of Jesus. And uh, so I, I really am so excited. I believe God is doing something tremendously significant. I believe it is a foretaste of the coming revival that we're going to see in our nation, in our nations, in our generation, in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord. So I want to um, talk about part two of Back to the Father. We've been doing a series on, uh, you know, Back to, and we've done Back to the Cross, uh, back to the blood, uh, back to the Bible, back to the name, and uh, last week back to the Father, and I'm going to complete it today. And I want to start um, uh, by just acknowledging the inspiring story of Victor E. Frankel, and he was the writer of Man's Search for Meaning, and it was a harrowing chronicle of his brutal experiences in Nazi concentration camps during World War II. Um, I have the book here, and there was over 10 million and copies of it printed in over 24 different languages and he was quite a brilliant man he was a psychiatrist a neurologist a philosopher an author and the founder of the third Viennese school of psychotherapy and this man had a very promising career. Um, uh, you know, he had the option of going to uh, the USA, and uh, he was meant to go to Vienna. These were in the days leading up to uh, World War II, and so uh, he, he meant to go to. He was meant to go to Vienna to pick up his visa, but he chose to allow his visa to lapse, even though he knew it was his last opportunity to escape the Nazi regime. And um, so uh, he left an easy life in America behind him in order to stay with his aged parents. And sadly, his father starved to death in the Terezine ghetto in Czechoslovakia. And his mother and his brother Walter were executed in Auschwitz. And between 1942 and 1945, um, he lived in four different concentration camps and existed under brutal conditions. And it made it very real to me last night because um, 
I decided to fast. I didn't eat last uh, yesterday evening, and um, had quite a busy day. And amazingly, I woke up at two o'clock, and I was just wide awake, and I was hungry. I know why I woke up. I was hungry, and um, so I didn't eat. But I was awake for three hours, and during that three hours, I was just contemplating the day of prayer and everything that had gone on. But I was also kind of it made it very real when I when I started reflecting on this man's life and all that he suffered in the concentration camps and how. Uh, you know, I chose to go hungry because, I, and, and I know you're not meant to say when you fast, I, I understand that, but I think it, it, it will help you to get the point. Um, uh, the reason why I do that is because I want to prepare my heart um, before preaching. So I always fast before preaching because I consider it to be a sacred uh, responsibility. It's a holy task and, and one that I, I, I don't take lightly. Uh, and, and so, uh, but it just struck me how, you know, for a few hours of inconvenience last night that I was hungry and I was very mindful of it, how, you know, millions of, of men, women, and children uh, endured terrible uh, suffering and hunger, uh, you know, as, as a daily reality, just reading this book, it, it, it really was just so moving, you know, how they were just giving a little piece of bread and a bowl of soup, watery soup, um, every day, that's what they had to survive on, and so many of them just slowly starved, and so it's, it's, it's a very harrowing account, and uh, so you have to ask yourself, why did he stay if he wasn't able to make a difference anyway? Well, the reason was love for his parents and obedience to the fifth commandment because he was a Jew. Uh, the fifth commandment is Deuteronomy 5 and verse 16. And it says, honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God has commanded you that your days may be long and that it may be well with you in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. And I believe this is a principle that uh, our generation needs to rediscover if it has to have um, a, a future. And, um, and, and, and so I, I just wanted to just read the, the uh, I, I thought part of the uh, preface um, was really fascinating. Um, the, the reader may ask why I did not try to escape what was in store for me after Hitler had occupied Austria. Let me answer by recalling the following story. Shortly after the United States entered World War II, I received an invitation to come to the American consulate in Vienna to pick up my immigration visa. My old parents were overjoyed because they expected that I would soon be allowed to leave Austria. I suddenly hesitated, however. The question beset me, could I really afford to leave my parents alone to face their fate, to be sent sooner or later to a concentration camp or even to a so-called extermination camp? Where did my responsibility lie? Should I foster my brainchild logotherapy by immigrating to fertile soil where I could write my books? Or should I concentrate my duties as a real child, the child of my parents who had to do whatever he could to protect them? I pondered the, the problem this way and that way, but could not arrive at a solution. There was uh, the type of dilemma that made one wish for a hint from heaven, as the phrase goes. It was then that I noticed a piece of marble lying on the table at home. When I asked my father about it, he explained that he had found it on the site where the National Socialists had burned down the largest Viennese synagogue. He had taken the piece home because part of the tablets on which the Ten Commandments were inscribed. One gilded Hebrew letter was, was engraved on the piece. My father explained that this letter stood for one of the commandments. Eagerly I asked, which one is it? He answered. 
Uh, he answered, Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land. At that moment, I decided to stay with my father and my mother upon the land and to let the American visa lapse. Victor E. Frankel. And I, I just found that to be so fascinating and, 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 and clearly moving uh, that this man, even though he knew it wasn't going to accomplish anything, he was looking for a hint from heaven and God gave it to him. Honor your father and your mother. And now I appreciate that for some of you the term father uh, may have mixed or even negative emotions. Maybe your father hurt you or wasn't there for you when you needed him. Or maybe he was one of these fathers that you simply couldn't please him no matter what you did. Or maybe you don't even know who your father was. But whether your earthly father was good, bad, or indifferent, you need to know this. You have a heavenly father who knows you and loves you and celebrates you. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 8, Jesus Christ here is talking. And he said, therefore do not be like them, for your father knows the things you need of before you ask him. So do you know that your father knows you? Amen. Verse 32, but after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you know, need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be added to you. So here it says, your Father knows what you need before you even ask him. You know why? He knows you intimately. He knows you better than you know yourself. Psalm 139, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down. You are acquainted with all my ways, for there is not a way in my tongue. There is not a word in my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You have hedged me in behind and before and laid your hand upon me. And so here the Bible talks about how God knows us intimately. And um, so it says he has searched us. He knows us. He, he knows uh, the thoughts that go through our minds. He knows how we will respond. You know, the Bible says in Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 5 that he knew us even before we were born. And this is, uh, you know, so encouraging to know that, you know what, even if nobody else understands or knows or cares about us, God does. And, um, you know, particularly in, in, in light of a, a generation that has just embraced abortion and uh, euthanasia and treats life like it is somehow disposable. You know, I find it ironic that, you know, the president of the U.S. was, you know, represented as some loving individual. And literally within hours of being elected, he's signing all sorts of, of laws that are going to facilitate America exporting abortion to the nations. That is utter hypocrisy. Be offended. Uh, Jeremiah 1 verse 5, it says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. So here God has already mapped out our existence. Nobody is an accident. And I'd like to start today's message by reading um, Luke chapter 15 in the message version. And verse 11, there was once a man who had two sons. The younger said to his father, Father, I want right now what's coming to me. So the father divided his property between them. It wasn't long before the younger son packed his bags and left for a distant country. There, undisciplined, undisciplined and dissipated, he wasted everything he had. And after he'd gone through all his money, there was a bad famine all through the country, and he began to hurt. He signed up uh, with a citizen there who assigned him to his fields to slop the pigs. He was so hungry that he would have eaten the corn cobs in the pig slop, but no one would give him any. 
That brought him to his senses. He said, all those farmhands working for my father sit down to three meals a day, and there I am starving to death. I'm going back to my father. I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against God. I've sinned against you. I don't deserve to be called your son. Take me on as a hard hand. He got right up and went home to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him. You know why? His father was looking for him. His heart pounding, he ran out, embraced him and kissed him. His father ignored all the decorum and protocol of the day. An aged man would never run, and yet he ran to his son. And it says, and not only that, his son was stinking and dirty. And after living a depraved life and being with the pigs, his father embraces him and kisses him. Why? Because he doesn't care that his son is dirty or stinking or in ragged clothes. It's his son. And it says he embraced him and kissed him. And the son started his speech. Father I've, si- Father, I've sinned against God. I've sinned before you. I don't deserve to be called your son ever again. But the father wasn't listening. You know why? To take a line from a very famous movie, movie, you had me at father. Isn't that beautiful? You had me at father. We we don't have to give God some, some long speech or use beautiful prose or give some beautiful prayer. We just have to turn our heart back to our father and he welcomes and embraces us no matter where we have been or what we have done. For God so loved the world. Hallelujah. The gospel is good news. His father wasn't listening. And he called to his servants, quick, bring a clean set of clothes and dress him. Put the family ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then get a grain-fed heifer and roast it. We're going to feast. We're going to have a wonderful time. My son is here, given up for dead and now alive. Given up for lost and now found. And they began to be, have a wonderful time. All this time, the older brother was out in the field. When the day's work was done, he came in. As he approached the house, he heard the music and dancing. Calling one of the houseboys, he asked what was going on. He said, your father came home. Your father has ordained the feast. Barbecued beef because he had him safe and sound. The Bible says when the day's work was done. You see, he was working for the father, but he wasn't working with the father. There is a difference. You need to understand that difference. And the older brother stalked out in an angry sulk and refused to join in. His father came out and tried to talk with him, but he wouldn't listen. And the son said, Lo, look now, these many years I've stayed here serving you, never giving you one moment of grief. The irony is he's completely oblivious to the fact that he's giving his father grief. He makes his father come out of the party. He makes his, and, he, and he ignores what his father is saying because he's angry, he's frustrated. And this is the problem. Many times we are utterly blind to the areas where we fall short. So we thank God for grace. But he said, I've never given you one moment of grief. But have you ever thrown a party for me and my friends? Here he uh, infers that the father is somehow withholding things from him. That his father doesn't celebrate or honor him and he said uh, then this son of yours who has thrown away your money on horse shows up and you give him uh, you go all out with a feast his father said son you don't understand you see many Christians and let me say this many Christians are like Jonah they're called by God but they don't understand God 
They know about the Father, but they don't understand the Father because the Bible says God is love. And if you don't love people, you don't understand God. Jo Jonah was frustrated because he said, I knew you, would, you would, are merciful and kind. And, and, you know, I'd love to get into that, but I don't have time. But, you know, God said, you know, that there are hundreds of thousands of people in, here in Nineveh and much livestock. So God doesn't just even have compassion on people. He has compassion even on animals. And his father said, son, you don't understand. And I think there are many Christians who fall into that bracket. They don't understand either A, because, you know, they embrace all sorts of sin and perversion in, the, in a, you know, because of a flawed understanding of love. Or the other extreme are those who want to, you know, condemn everybody and look down their nose. I'm holier than thou, as it says in Isaiah. And they don't have compassion for broken people either. Because, like I said, if you're one of those who embrace everybody in the name of, of, of love, that's not compassion because those people will go to hell. Those people will go to hell and, and you're probably going to go with, there with them because you're taking them there by not preaching the full truth. Like Paul said, I've not neglected to declare to you the whole counsel of God. In eternity, true compassion will be to love people, to speak truth in love. Okay? So again, this is important. The father said, son, you don't understand. You're with me all the time and everything that is mine is yours. But this is a wonderful time, and we had to celebrate. This brother of yours was dead, and he's alive. He, he's, he was lost, and he's found. And so, it's beautiful. I remember when my son, my oldest son, Ewan, was a little boy, maybe four or five. Uh, he had done something bold. I can't even remember what he did, uh, but it was a pretty frequent occurrence. He was a very active child. He was a lot of fun, and uh, he was a child who could ask you a thousand questions, and before you even asked, answered the first or, or the tenth or the fiftieth question, he had another one ready to go, and um, so, you know, very intelligent kid, and, um, but I remember I corrected him. I don't know what, uh, whether I, I smacked him on the bum, uh, which was still legal back then, or uh, whether I just, uh, you know, said, you don't do that, either way he walked away you know he walked away with his head down and a few minutes later he comes back with his head down and he holds out his medal it was a plastic medal on on on, on a, a ribbon uh, that he had been given in children's church uh, we gave a medal to everybody in children's church I can't remember they were little Tesco medals he hands it over he, he said here dad take that and uh, <laughs> he said here dad take that and um, you know, my heart just went out to the child in that moment, and I've never forgotten that moment. And the reason, like I said, he wanted me to take the medal is I guess he didn't feel like he was forgiven, and he felt like he somehow had to contribute. And maybe this is the way both brothers felt uh, as well. You see, the prodigal felt like he must now serve his father as a servant, not as a son. And yet the elder brother, uh, while not outwardly rebellious, also seemed to have the same slave mentality. You never gave me. He was working, and yet he, he never took what was his. And yet the father addresses both of them as sons and not servants. And this is the beautiful thing that we see because God doesn't love or accept us on the basis of our performance, but on the basis of Christ's sacrifice on the cross. And you know, I find it rather, rather ironic that both brothers were far from the Father, but only one brother realized it.
Only one brother knew it. The prodigal knew he was a sinner, and yet the elder brother didn't. In truth, many believers are no different to the elder brother, slaving away, earnestly hoping to earn what is already theirs through Christ. But when you discover what is yours in Christ, literally everything changes in your life. Because clearly, the prodigal didn't deserve anything from the father. But this is the point. None of us do. That's the beauty of the grace, kindness, and mercy that we find in the Father. 2 Corinthians 13, 14. Now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. You see, neither the younger nor the elder brother earned anything from the Father. What was it the Father said? Son, you're always with me, and all that I have is yours. Amen? You see... We don't earn anything from the Father. It's all freely given. Amen. Everything was already theirs as sons. Amen. And they had to take it as sons. You know, last week we looked at both forgiveness and fellowship. Because with our Heavenly Father, we have forgiveness of of our sins. Jeremiah 31 and verse 34. And no longer shall each teach his uh, neighbor and each his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. I thank God because in my life I have failed many times, but I thank God that in spite of where I fall, that I am forgiven. Amen? Because my past no longer exists. And if you know Jesus Christ, neither does yours. I thank God that our Father doesn't broadcast our past. Rather, He completely erases it, just as the Father, amen, did with the prodigal son. He threw him a party. Isaiah 1.18 in the New Living. Come now, let's settle this, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, I will make them as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, I will make them as white as wool. You know, some of you still carry the scars and the burdens of some past failure. And every now and then, the enemy of your souls reminds you. And once again, you feel a deep sense of shame and inadequacy and embarrassment. But you know what? You don't realize that this is the enemy's way of limiting you and holding you in bondage. Because the moment you realize that you are forgiven, you can walk free from the prison that holds you. Psalm 103 in verse 10. He doesn't deal with us according to our sins, or nor reward us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion on his children, so the Lord shows compassion on those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are but dust. I love this quote by Henry Ward Beecher. I can forgive, but I cannot forget is only another way of saying I will not forgive. Forgiveness ought to be like a cancelled note, torn in two and burned up so that it can never again be shown against one. Uh, D.L. Moody, the great American evangelist. The voice of sin is loud, but the voice of forgiveness is louder. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Some of you have been listening to the voice of the enemy. You need to understand the voice of forgiveness is louder than the voice of your sin. C.S. Lewis, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable, 
Because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. You know, we should be the happiest people on earth. Why? Because our sins are forgiven. Our past is gone. Forgiveness. Secondly, fellowship. I'm not going to go there. Exodus 33. It says Moses spoke to God face to face. God spoke to him face to face as a man speaks to his friend. You see, our highest attainment in this life is to know our Heavenly Father. Jeremiah 9, verse 23, 24. Let not the wise man boast in his riches. Uh, let, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, the rich man boast in his riches, the strong man boast in his strength, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he knows me and understands me, that I am the Lord. This is what God has called us to, to know him. We have fellowship with God because Ephesians 1, 6 says we are accepted in the beloved. Christ bore our sin and shame and now we are children of God, John 1 and verse 12. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. Amen? Hallelujah. You see, Eden didn't do anything to earn being the child of, of Tato and Thule. But you know what? In the same way, we haven't done anything to earn being God's child. But we are because of His goodness and His grace. We are members of the family. Amen? And Rev Romans 5 and verse 5 says, And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And just as the Father poured out His love on His Son, so too God our Father welcomes and embraces us into His family. He knows us better than we know ourselves. 1 John 1, 3. It says, uh, I'm going to read it again. It talks about fellowship. We are called to fellowship. And it says, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you. That you also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. So, it's beautiful. And, and I, I sensed that yesterday, even among all the ministers in different nations that were gathered yesterday. There was that koinonia, there was that sharing together. That's Because that's what the word is in the Greek is koinonia. It means partnership. It means joint participation. Social intercourse. It means to communicate. Communication. Communion. Fellowship. Intimacy. We have communion and fellowship with each other, but we also have fellowship with our Father. We have intimacy with our Father. Amen? And this is, this is the beauty of the gospel. The Father longs for fellowship with His children. It's never been about what we can do for Him. For God already has innumerable angels who exist to do His will. No, it's about something much higher than simply obedience. Because ultimately, amen, a, a, a dog or a robot can give you obedience. We're called to relationship. We're called to fellowship with our Heavenly Father. And when you discover this, your prayer life will never be the same again. As a young man, I remember praying, uh, going to bed. I used to get on my knees and I used to pray for my family. And then I'd say, three our fathers and, 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 and three Hail Marys. And I always kept them equal. And I just rattled off those prayers. I was sincere, but I didn't understand that prayer is about talking to God. It's about opening your heart to Him. Amen? And so... This is the beautiful thing about prayer. And, 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 and we are called to fellowship with our Heavenly Father. And like I said, when you discover that, prayer will never be the same again because you can walk and talk with God, our loving Heavenly Creator. Not only can you walk and talk with Him, you can hear His voice. 
Song of Solomon 2 verse 8, the voice of my beloved. Behold, he comes leaping upon the mountains, skipping upon the hills. And when you have been with him, you know what? You're going to have a skip in your step as well. You're going to have a smile on your face, amen? The voice of my beloved. Forgiveness, fellowship, thirdly favor. It says in verse 20, um, and he arose, came to his father, but he was still a great way off. His father saw him, had compassion, and ran, and fell on his neck, and kissed him. You know why the father saw him from such a distance? Every day, whether it took weeks or months or years, the father was looking down that road that the father, that the son had gone. And that's why the minute he saw the son, he started running. He was old, but he started running to his son. The father responded with grace towards his son because his son had favor with him as his child. Amen. You see, the prodigal had failed and was utterly undeserving. But this is the beauty of grace. It's never earned. As a father, you may not always be pleased with your child, but they're always your child and you will never stop loving them. You can love them even while not being pleased with them. You see, is God always pleased with us? Of course not. Amen? But He never stops loving us. He never stops loving us, no matter where we've been or what we have done. You have to make a distinction between the person and the performance. It's like the saying, love me when I least deserve it, because that's when I need it most. Our Father believes in us. He sees us for who we are and not for where we've been. Amen? He sees us for who we are, not for where we've been or what we have done. Amen? We are a masterpiece of grace. Ephesians 2.10 in the New Living says, we are his masterpiece. Amen? You see, we have favor with the king, just as your little child has favor with you. And this is why I was just slapping Tato on the back earlier and saying, you're a daddy. And this is the beautiful thing when you're a daddy and, or, or a mother, you just feel love for that child. They don't have to do anything to deserve it. You you just love them because they're your child. And we have favor with the King of Kings, amen, because we are his child. We have favor with him. And if you ever realize this, your faith will go through the roof. It will go to a completely different level, amen, because we will walk in joy and peace and blessing like we could never have imagined. Because you know what? Your kids make a mess. They cost you money, time, and effort. They can't really help you in any way, at least when they're small and when they're older, they don't want to. I mean, sometimes you have to fight a small war to get the dishwasher uh, loaded. Uh, I'm, 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 I'm really only joking. Well, not, not quite, but I, I'm just saying, <laughs> but they're your child. They're your child and you love them and you would do anything for them. Deuteronomy 7 verse 6 says, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. Do you understand that you are God's treasured possession the same way as your children are your treasured possession? Deuteronomy 14 and 2. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. Out of all the peoples on the face of the earth, the Lord your God has chosen you to be his treasured possession. Amen. And so uh, Matthew chapter 3 and verse 16 talks about how Christ came out of the water. And it says, um, 
And when he had been baptized, Jesus came immediately up from the water, and uh, behold, the heavens were opened above him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And suddenly a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Even Christ was affirmed by his Father. And the tragedy is that Ireland knows all about religion, but little or nothing about the Father. The prodigal son failed, and yet he was shown mercy and grace and favor. You know, sadly, too many times people in Ireland associate the church with hypocrisy, arrogance, and abuse, rather than humility, kindness, and love. Because simply being religious does not mean that you know the Father. You see, the Pharisees were religious, but they rejected Jesus Christ. And sadly, I think at times, it seems like as the church, we have given the world the impression that God is more like the elder brother, a, a, a bitter, grumpy fault finder, than the loving, kind, and merciful God that he is. You see, the father didn't punish the son or give him a lecture. Rather, he killed the fatted calf and threw him a party. How many of us would have given him a firm talking to? We would have decided it's time for an intervention. It's time for one mother of a lecture. No, uh, he didn't, the, the father didn't say, now, are you sorry? You should have listened to me. No, he celebrated the son. Let me say this to you as parents. Don't be guilty of provoking your children to wrath by a critical, fault-finding spirit. Look for the good. Amen? Ephesians 6.4 Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. Amen? Don't provoke them to wrath. Bring them up. Encourage them. Amen? Everybody thrives in an environment of encouragement. Luke 15 and 1 in the New Living, it says, um, Thank you, Jesus. It says, tax collectors and other notorious sinners also came to listen to Jesus teach. Uh, this made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people and eating with them. So Jesus told them this story. If a man is a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go and search for the one that is lost and he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his family and neighbors saying, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. And so let's remind ourselves that God our Father rejoices over us. Amen? That he celebrates us. The Bible says that heaven rejoices when one sinner turns to Christ. Hosea 11 and verse 1. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Edom I called my son. And they called him. As they called them, so they went from them. They sacrificed to the bowels and burned incense to carved images. I taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by their arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I drew them with gentle cords with bands of love, and I was to them as one who takes the yoke from their neck. 
I stooped and fed them. And here we see the heart of our Father God. He looks on us as his little children, and I believe it breaks his heart when we rebel and when we walk in sin. You see, our Father rejoices over every one of his children. We have favor with God and with men. The Bible says of Christ, Luke 2.52, he grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and men. Psalm 5 and verse 12, surely, Lord, you bless the righteous. You surround them with favor as a shield. You see, those who walk with the Father, walk in His blessing and favor. Amen? Favor, it literally means in the Hebrew, delight, acceptable, desire, good pleasure. It says, He will surround us with favor as a shield. He will surround us with delight. He will surround us as being acceptable. He'll surround us with good pleasure. Jeremiah 31 and verse 3 said, Truly I have loved you with an everlasting love. God the Father declares that He loves us with an everlasting love. And so, no, you're not deserving. But you know what? Savor the favor anyway. The fourth one is this. Through the Father we find a future. What is it about us as human beings that we tend to fear the future? I remember as a little boy coming out of primary school, uh, there was a huge amount of young people uh, back then in the 80s, and I remember there was two old men sitting by a wall, and these hundreds of kids were walking by them, and as I walked by, I heard these two old men say out loud to each other, where will we get jobs for all of them? Well, you know what? We all did get jobs, at least those of us who wanted them, and um, those men couldn't see a future for us, but you know what? God did. And here I am today, by God's grace. He has been faithful. I'm 47 years of age. I've never missed a meal, except for when I chose to in fasting. I've never missed a meal. God has provided abundantly for me and my children. But you know what? In the same way as these men, I sometimes wonder if believers are blinded to the glorious future that awaits us. Because we look to the rapture as a form of escapism as opposed to the final culmination of the ages and the fulfillment of the blessed hope that our Father has promised to every believer. You see, there is nothing to fear. 1 John 2.18 says, Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you've heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know that it is the last hour. This is the Word of God and it is true. And yet, it was written approximately 90 AD, almost 2,000 years ago. It says it is the final hour. And so, like I said, it's true even though it was written 2,000 years ago. And I know I've said it myself. Christ is coming. It's absolutely true. But it can cause us to miss the miracle of the moment through an overemphasis on the end to the neglect of the present. And thus, our kids can end up anxious, fearful, or even resentful, saying, what's the use? Jesus might be back before supper time. So why study? Why go to college, start a business? Why marry or make plans for the future if it's a, a waste of time? And thus, through this erroneous perspective, the church slowly retreats from society and we lose our vision to occupy till he comes. Because that's what it says in Luke 19, 13 in the King James. Occupy till I come. We're not meant to retreat from society. We're not meant to hide away. We're not meant to kind of hide away saying, Oh Lord, beam me up, it's getting bad 
down here know if things are dark, it simply means that we as the church are not doing our job of shining the light. Because the Bible says, Arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. People, it's time to shine. In a time when so many people are plagued with depression and despair and addiction and hopelessness and fear. You know, so many people have been shaken. There's so much fear and anxiety, whether of the virus or of the consequences of the the lockdowns, etc. Financially, economically, mental health, etc. This is our time to lift up Jesus as a banner over our nation and say there is hope. Jesus said you are the light of the world. We are meant to shine the light. We have a hope. We have an anchor. We have a foundation. Let the storm blow. We are not going to be taken in Jesus' name. We have a message of hope and life and liberty through Jesus Christ. Occupied till I come. You see, this causes us to miss the fact this mentality, like I said, this, this rapture mentality, and I believe in the rapture, but this escapist mentality causes us to miss the fact that there are literally billions of souls who are not ready for the return of Christ. And therefore, the most selfish thing in the world that we as Christians could do is wish that Christ would come right now. No, we have work to do. We must be about our Father's business and leave the time of Christ's return to the Father alone. It's time to arise and build because clearly there is a lot of work to do before we go to heaven. Jeremiah 29 11 says, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans for good and not for evil to give you a hope and a future. Amen. You see, Jeremiah 29 11 says, God has a future for us. And that future isn't just in the next life, but it's in this one. We have a future because we have a father. He, and he, you know what? He has given us gifts and abilities and talents and hopes and desires. And he expects us to pursue them and to build his kingdom. You know, Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 8. And it says, my son, hear the instruction of your father. Proverbs 2 and verse 1. My son, if you receive my words and treasure my commands within you. So that you incline your heart to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding. Chapter 3 and verse 1. My son, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commands for length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. Verse 11. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, for whom the Lord loves. He corrects just as a father, the son in whom he delights. We see King David giving Solomon advice on one level, but on a much deeper level, it is God, our loving father, speaking directly to us. You see, a father takes the time to give advice to his son or daughter because he loves and believes in them, and he wants them to succeed in the future. No father out there, at least no good father, would want their children to fail just to prove a point. No, the reason why we correct our children and advise them and encourage them is we want them to succeed. A good father takes the time to give advice to his son and daughter because because he loves and believes and wants them to succeed. Because when you become a father, you start to think generationally. You become more responsible. You hope uh, and you dream of the great things that your children might one, way, one day do. Because you want to do everything in your power to ensure that they succeed. Like I said, when you become a father, suddenly you, you want to... There's a really funny um, uh, uh, part of... I think it's Paddington Bear. When... Uh, 
this man, he, he's bringing his wife, uh, the, the family that embraced Paddington. They, uh, you know, he's wearing a helmet. He's from the 60s. He's got a, a kind of a, a, a scarf and, and he's riding a motorbike and he brings his wife to the hospital. She's expecting the baby and um, he comes to collect her. He's driving this ugly Volvo and, he's, he's, and now he's carrying this little baby because his mentality, his worldview is totally changed. Why? He's become a father. Amen. Fatherhood changes us, amen? And so a friend of mine, he's a worship leader, and he lives in Australia now, but he was leading worship in a men's home. One week his son, um, Sam, uh, went to do it instead of him, and the week after he came back, the man said, he said, you know your son Sam is better than you, and the guy took a step back, and I remember Ray said, I don't have a problem with that. He said, I love that. I'm delighted. I want him to be more successful than me. I want him to do great things, amen? You're not threatened by the success of your child you celebrate it and this is the beauty and strength of family why our future is eternally intertwined jeremiah 33 verse 3 call on me i will answer you show you great and mighty things which you do not know that is the voice of your father calling all of us into a deeper relationship with him amen you see god says just call on me i will answer you and i will reveal the future to you you know why he holds the blueprints how many of you are glad that you figure in your father's plans? Jeremiah 1.5, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. God's plan for Jeremiah was that he would be a prophet, but maybe God's plan for you is that you will be a housewife or a CEO or an engineer or a mechanic or a, an entrepreneur or a preacher or a, a worship leader. Who knows? God knows. He knows everything about you. Amen? Did you know that you are celebrated by your heavenly Father? that you can trust in his plan amen because long before you were even born God already had a blueprint for your existence you see you're not an accident you're not a burden you're not forgotten you are greatly loved by God I'm sure God in heaven is is always going to look at my look at my son he's going to do great things and the angels are there but he's just a baby in the womb and and the father says no you don't realize I'm going to use him to do great things I'm, I'm going to use her to do great things I've planned so many things for that, that, that little girl. She's going to grow up and she's going to become a president. She's, she's going to do great things. Do you understand your father believes in you? Even if nobody else does. Even if you don't believe in yourself. Your father believes in you. Amen. Hallelujah. He has made provision for your every need, both temporal and eternal. He is a good, good father. Think about it. If he has made eternal provision for you, how much more will he meet your needs in this life? He has this. I don't know what you're facing today, but your father has this. Luke 15, 22 says the father said, give him a ring. He put a ring in his hand. Why? The son had a future in his father's house. While clearly he didn't have a future in the pork industry, he had a future in his father's house. The ring was a symbol of authority, acceptance, and trust. Not only that, he was given shoes. And so too our feet are shed with the preparation of the gospel of peace, like it says in Ephesians 6, 15. We have a mighty destiny. We are ambassadors this for Christ. How many of you are glad that we serve a God of restoration? You see, all of us have a past that utterly disqualified us from ever earning anything from heaven. But because of God's glorious grace, we have a future, hallelujah, with our Father. Oh, thank you, Jesus. 
Give me five minutes and I'll finish. We've been talking about back to the Father. We must come back to the Father, whether as individuals or as families or as churches or as nations. We're having a day of prayer for America because we, we want to see America come back to the Father. We had a, prayer, a day of prayer yesterday for Ireland and the UK. We want to see our nations come back to the Father. We want to see all of the nations come back to the Father because in the Father we find forgiveness. We find fellowship. We find favor. We find a future. And lastly, we find freedom. Some of you are saying, not again. I appreciate freedom is a very common theme in my sermons. You know why? It's a very common theme in this book. This is why societies and nations that turn from this book with the best of intentions, all of those who pursue the walk agenda, they present freedom. Those who, you know, pursue feminist ideals or, you know, philosophies or socialism or communism, they present people freedom, but it always ends with one thing, slavery. Slavery. It doesn't bring freedom. It brings slavery. Freedom is a very important theme because it's the most basic of all human desires. People want to be free. You know, yesterday I got on my knees to acknowledge the sins of, of us as Irish people that we have committed against people in Northern Ireland, against uh, people in England. But you know what? It goes both ways. The British did a lot of bad things in history as well. And, and I think it's important to acknowledge that. You know, over a million people died on this island in the famine. They starved to death because of British ineptitude. And so I love Britain, but I think it's important to acknowledge there is a reason why much of the hostility has been perpetuated from generation to generation. And sadly, I think many British people have never been taught history in an accurate manner. And therefore, you know, they, don't, they dismiss things without realizing that a lot of these feelings run very deep in the hearts of the Irish people and other nations that have suffered. And this is why, ultimately, the British Empire had to fail. This is why the Ottoman Empire and the, the Greek Empire, the Roman Empire, eventually they all were destined to fail. Why? Nobody wants to live as a slave. It is a universal yearning of every people. We want to be free. We want to be free. But you know the beautiful thing is I've discovered as a believer I don't have to hold on to that hostility and hatred and offense and bitterness. The Bible teaches us to forgive. And this is why we had that day of prayer because we wanted to bless Great Britain. And I use the term Great Britain because I believe God has a great plan for that nation. And I believe that as Christians we can choose to bless we don't have to live in the past. We don't have to be defined by the failures of our ancestors. We don't have to hold on to the grievances of the past. This is a message our generation needs to hear. Because there are those who have a political agenda, a vested interest in fomenting hatred and division between people based on the offenses and grievances of the past. That's true. Freedom. It's a universal human yearning. 
irrespective of age, gender, or location. And that's why it doesn't matter how hard they try to sell us safety. People will ultimately reject it because in reality, it's not safety, it's slavery. I appreciate the virus is dangerous, people have died. I understand all of that. I'm not one of those who try to deny its existence, but let me live my life. Let me make my own decisions and deal with the consequences. John Quincy Adams, posterity, you will never know how much it has cost my generation to preserve your freedom. I hope you will make good use of it. Freedom has a very high price and it must never be surrendered. You see, the world wrongly believes that freedom is found in money, that is economic freedom, or in politics, political freedom, or even in promiscuity, sexual freedom. But none of these things bring true freedom or lasting happiness for you can have all of these things and still be in chains as so many in our generation are. They earn big money. They drive big cars. They live in big houses and end up with a big headache. Why? All because they bought into the lie that things can make you happy. No, they can't. Life isn't a game of monopoly. The person with the most stuff at the end wins. No, our greatest accomplishment in this life pales in significance compared to the glorious promise that our names are eternally written in the Lamb's book of life. Luke 10 verse 20. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. You see, in him we are truly free. Because happiness isn't a destination or a substance. It's not a product, a label, or a title. It's a person. Your Father in heaven. You will never be free until you know your Father. Until you know the God who created you. Amen? You will have a hole on the inside of your soul that will never be filled by any amount of wealth or success or notoriety. You see, Christ reveals the secret to happiness right here. Come to your Father. His arms are open. Whoever comes to me, I will never turn him away, the Bible says. Proverbs 16, 20, he who hears the word uh, wisely will find good. And whoever trusts in the Lord, happy is he. You see, freedom and happiness is found in listening to our Father's advice and yielding to our Father's embrace. Zephaniah 3, 17, the Lord your God is in your midst. The mighty one will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. You see, some of us don't have a problem working. We have a problem waiting. We, let's be honest, we get uncomfortable in his presence. And so like Martha, we rush around and try to look busy. A bit like the t-shirt that says, Jesus is coming, look busy. And the truth is, many of us work because we feel unworthy of his love. And therefore, we try to earn it just like a Boy Scout earns badges. You need to stop it. He doesn't love you because of what you do for him, but because of who you are to him. You're a son or a daughter of the king, eternally beloved by him. He gave up his own son for you. Psalm 16 and verse 11, you will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. In his presence we are truly free, for he knows us perfectly. And if you want to truly know who you are, you must first know who he is. For you came from him, and he holds the blueprints for your soul. 
You see, he knows us and still he loves us. Revelation 1.6, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. You see, the prodigal was in the pig pen. He was living far below his calling and destiny. He was a slave to sin. I said it last week, but again, John 8, 34, he who sins is a slave to sin. Just like many people today, slaves to lust, our porn, our greed, our addiction, our fear, our unforgiveness, our bitterness, our anger, our rejection, our resentments. There are, there are slaves to that. They're slaves. Invariably, all of these things conspire to make us into someone that we are not. And tragically, you know what? I believe it's only in eternity that some people discover the wonderful, beautiful plan that God had for every one of us. I know the plans. You know, Deuteronomy 7, uh, sorry, Revelation 7, 17 and Revelation 21, 4 talks about how he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. You know, God has promised in eternity and it says God will wipe away every tear from their eyes as the worship group come. And there will be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There should be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Maybe part of the tears of the saved and the unsaved in eternity. Because the Bible says in, even in heaven, God will wipe away tears from their eyes. In hell, there are gnashing of teeth. I wonder if the part of the reason for regret in eternity is the realization of all the glorious things that God wanted to do in their lives. You see, sin promises us freedom, but it only brings death, destruction, and slavery. We end up full of shame and condemnation, but it's our Father who sets us free from the pig pen of our sin. You see, the Son arose from his prison of shame. But you see, again, he arose, I believe, because it was an answer to the prayers of his father. When did change come? Change came when he responded to the father's call and said, I will arise and go to my father. Do you know that the father is calling you back to him today? Maybe you've never accepted him as your savior. Or maybe you've been a Christian who you haven't been like the prodigal, but maybe you've been more like the elder brother. You've been trying to dot every I and cross every T and do everything perfectly so you could earn God's love. The Father is calling you back to His presence, back to your first love. You know, in the Gospel of Mark, Christ was in great distress of soul. And he said, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch. He went a little further, fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. He came and he said, Abba, Father. Do you know that Abba literally means daddy? There's a Jewish lady that comes to this church, a lovely girl, Adina. She calls her father Abba. She refers to him as Abba. Jesus came to his father. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Christ cried out, not to his disciples, all of them strong, physical men, nor to angels, but rather to his Abba father. And so too, we come to our Father 
with our burdens and our pains and our sin and our past and our present and our future. See, 2 Corinthians 3.17, Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Let the Father bring you today to a place of freedom and liberty in Him. I know there's people watching today and I know that you are burdened because you are condemned. You feel condemned because of your sin or your addiction or your past. And for some of you, it's like you take one step forward and two steps back. You know why? Because you're trying to do it in your strength. But today the Father is asking you, child, just come here into my arms. Let me heal your soul. Let me break those chains. Let me lift those burdens. Let me change that situation. You've tried it for long enough in your strength. Now you're going to do it in mine. Oh, hallelujah. The Father is calling you today to come to Him. How do we come to the Father? We come with a repentant heart. And we come in simple faith in the glorious grace of God whereby we earn nothing from Him. You see, the elder brother slayed for years and years and never got anything. You know why? It was already His. He was trying to earn what was His. And some of you today are watching and you've been trying to earn things from God that they're already yours. They're yours in Christ. Just reach out and take it in the name of Jesus. Just reach out and take your healing. Just reach out and take deliverance. Just reach out and take His wisdom. Just reach out and take His provision in the name of Jesus. You know what? Some of you have been renting long enough. It's time for you to take your home in the name of Jesus. Some of you have been struggling with debt. It's time to come out of debt in the name of Jesus. Some of you just so filled with shame because of your sin and you don't realize that it's a, a, a relentless cycle. It's a self-perpetuating cycle because your shame causes you to turn from the one person who can take you from that, who can lift that burden. And so you go back into other darker things. And it's just a, bro a, a, a broken record, a cycle of sin and condemnation and shame. Today the Father says, enough! Enough! It's time to walk out of that prison of shame because your Father loves you. Your Father accepts you by virtue of the death, burial, and resurrection of your older brother, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Now thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord, Jesus Christ. So today, if you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, just pray this simple prayer at me. Say, Lord Jesus Christ, I believe in my heart that you were born of a virgin, that you lived a perfect life, and that when you died on the cross, you died in my place, bearing my sin and shame. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus Christ, and forgive me of my sins. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Jesus, you are my Lord. And now I want every person to pray this prayer with me. Say, Father, I come to you 
I come through the blood. I have nothing to offer. But I come by your grace. And I receive today all that you have for me. I repent of being like the prodigal or being like the elder brother. Help me to embrace all that you have for me as a son or a daughter of God. I take it because I'm loved. I have a father. I have a father who loves me, who celebrates me, who has plans for me, who is with me. And if God is with me, who can be against me? I believe the best is yet to come. I say yes to all you have for me, Lord. And I'm taking it by faith in Jesus' name. If you believe that, give a shout of praise to the Lord. Come on. We have a Father. We have a Father in Jesus' name. Amen. If you want to lift it to the Lord.